Hey, my name is Timothy Pig, lead pastor of Fellowship Church. I want to thank you for listening to Text Driven Podcast. Today, you are listening to one of our weekend messages at Fellowship Church. While we hope that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus, we want to urge you to be part of a local church in your area. This sermon is certainly not a substitute for the encouragement you will receive from going to a local church. If you are living in Southwest Florida, we would love for you to visit us here at Fellowship Church. To find out times and locations, visit our website, www.fellowshipchurch.co. Thank you. Good. Make sure I'm on. Am I on? Good. Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. I remember the first time I met you in the auditorium at uh, First Baptist Jacksonville. And look, look, look what you've. I'm glad I could do this for you, son. <laughs> this is a great guy. He comes from a great mom and dad. You have a wonderful pastor at this church, and I'm excited for you, and I'm excited about all the things that God's doing in his life and ministry. I'm glad to be in Florida. Ten of my 16 grandchildren live in this state. I have 16 grandchildren, believe it or not, and ten of them are here. They're up in Jacksonville, and uh, uh, the other six are in um, Birmingham with me. Well, not with me, with their mom and their dad, but uh, they're there where we are. So um, I'm glad to be in the state. I'd love to go see them, but uh, that's not possible. I'm flying out, so I'm going to make you mad tonight, and I'm going to fly out at 6 in the morning. So... um, Anyway, and Dr. Coulter, I, I don't know any young guy that I have as much admiration and respect for as I do Scott Coulter. Uh, just his deportment uh, says so much about who he is. And um, I'm thankful. We had classes together in the doctorate program, and uh, I am just thrilled all that God's doing in his life. Now, if you've got a copy of God's Word, and surely you wouldn't come to a conference and not have one, I want you to take it, and I want you to look with me this evening at 1 Peter. 1 Peter. And uh, would you just bow your heads with me for just a moment? Father, I pray that in these moments that I would be but a coin in the hand of the king and that you would spend me in the economy of your kingdom to purchase up whatever I can do to advance the cause of Christ to lift the name of Jesus and to stand as Scott said courageously for our God for I pray it in Jesus name amen Demi Lee Brennan was just your typical nine-year-old little girl, full of life, uh, full of giggles, uh, full of excitement. She was the eyeballs of her mom and dad, naturally. Uh, But at nine years of age, Demi Lee became extremely sick. Uh, She became sick. Parents did not know what to do but to take her to the doctor, and so off to the doctor they went. And after the examination, the doctor turned and looked at the mom and dad and said, listen, take her on over to the hospital. 
uh, get her checked in. I'll be over a little later. I've got to run some tests. And I'll need for her to be in the hospital. And so they took uh, Demi Lee over to the hospital. Uh, they ran tests. And in came uh, just a battery of doctors in the room to talk to mom and dad. And as they did, they shared with parents what no parent wants to hear. They shared with them that uh, their little girl's liver was basically dying and that there was nothing they could do for her except attempt a liver transplant. And so they did that. They put her on the transplant list. Uh, they found a liver very quickly and they took her into surgery. They prepped her, got her into surgery, and for hour after hour, parents waited until the doctors came out and said to them, it's, uh, it's amazing how well she is doing. And so she came out of the surgery, out of uh, recovery, and uh, just spent a, a few days in the hospital, and she was doing so well that the doctor said she can go home. Uh, we can't believe how well she's doing. So they sent her home with all the anti-rejection medicine that she would need so that this liver uh, would function in her body. And she went home, and uh, she did what little nine-year-old girls do. She just played, and she, again, full of life and laughter, and till about nine months later, she became ill again. And her mom and dad were terrified at what was going on. They took her back to the doctor, and the doctor looked at them and said, you've got to take her back to the hospital. We're going to have to run some tests and see what's going on with her. But this time, the outcome was very, very different. The doctors came into the room with the parents and with Demi Lee, and they said, what we're going to tell you, we cannot explain to you. Uh, what is happening with your daughter is this. Her body is rejecting the anti-rejection medicine, and that's what's making her sick. And they said, well, how will she be able to function if she's not taking the anti-rejection medicine for the liver? They said, we don't know. We've never seen this before, but somehow something has taken place, and down in the cellular structure of this little girl, her blood type had turned from O negative to O positive. <laughs> and the doctor said, there's a chance of one in seven billion. Now, there are about eight billion people on the earth. So in other words, they're saying this could never really happen. This is, they had no other explanation but a miracle. It changed her blood, her entire system, from an O negative to an O positive. Never has it been recorded in medical history before. Now, listen, let me tell you something. When you came to Jesus Christ and you were washed in the blood of Christ, what happened to her physiologically at the cellular level happened to you at the spiritual level. You in Christ have been changed. I don't think we realize the change that has taken place because of Jesus Christ in our lives. Listen, Paul put it this way. He said, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. All the old things have passed away. Amen? And behold, all things have become new. In Jesus Christ, you are no longer the person you used to be, 
because you've been changed by the blood of Christ. There at the cross where my Savior died, there where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied, whoa, glory to his name. Now Peter was writing to preacher, people who thought that they were not saved. They'd come to Christ, uh, they'd put their faith and their trust in Christ, but uh, they were experiencing such tremendous persecution that they thought to themselves, we must not be saved. It could not be that if we were saved, God would allow these things to happen to us that's happening to us. First Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to pick up with verse 1 because he's answering them about this whole issue of their salvation. Now listen, what had happened was this. He writes to a people, not of a specific church, but an entire region. And uh, they're scattered all over Asia Minor. They're from Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. And what they're doing is this. They're undergoing persecution. Now when these people accepted and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, their families kind of turned on them, ostracized them, you know, isolated them, put them in quarantine. We won't have anything to do with you. That was tough to deal with. Uh, their neighbors, their friends, their society, their culture, uh, they backed away and would have nothing to do with them as well. Uh, they were struggling in their businesses. They were struggling in their neighborhoods because people had absolutely iced them and cut them off. But now something else was happening. There was something else going on that uh, intensified all of that, and that was physical persecution. If, as Dr. Charles Ryrie, good friend of mine, I buried Dr. Ryrie when he passed away a couple of years ago, but Dr. Ryrie said that First uh, Peter wrote this epistle from Rome in 64 A.D. Now, if he did, this is what's taking place. To give you a little background, do you remember that verse out of chapter 4 that says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, though something strange were happening to you? 64 A.D. was when the city of Rome burned. It was when we believe, we think, Nero set fire to the city. And you say, why would somebody do that? Well, he was a demoniac, <laughs> to put it simply. And he was full of demons. You know, people in Baptist churches ask me all the time, preacher, do you really believe in demons? Do I believe in demons? I've been a Baptist preacher for over 40 years. <laughs> He set the city on fire, destroyed the city because he wanted to rebuild the city. And when he, He's got to blame somebody for it because everybody knew what had happened, that he had done it. So he blames Christians and he begins to persecute them. And when I say persecute them, he begins to kill them. Uh, Nero had these gardens, these lush gardens out from his palace. And he would take a stake and he would drive a stake through a Christian and dip them in pitch and he would light them, and he would tour his garden at night by the lights of burning Christians. Now, that's what's going on. And uh, there are these that have trusted Christ that are now beginning to be persecuted in parts of the empire. They are experiencing things like the loss of their home, the, the loss of their goods, the loss of their finances, 
Uh, some are being incarcerated, thrown in prison. Others are being beaten. And now they are beginning to be persecuted to the point of death. They're being martyred. And so they write Peter and they say, listen, Peter, it, it must be that we're not saved. Something's not right. And Peter writes, and listen to what he says to them, to those who reside as aliens. You, you, you ever feel like an alien in this world? I feel like an alien. More and more, I feel like an alien in my own country. I don't know this place much anymore. Y'all know how to say Amen. Amen. Now listen, we'll get out sooner if you, if you can amen. If not, I'll stop and amen myself through the, it'll take a little longer, but I can do it. To those who reside as aliens, you feel isolated. You, you feel like you don't belong. Scattered throughout these areas, you are chosen. Do you see that? You are chosen. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ. Now, did you catch that? You've just gotten the Trinity right there. You've got God the Father, you've got the Spirit, God the Spirit, and you've got God, Jesus Christ. Be sprinkled with His blood. There where the blood was applied. You've been sprinkled with His blood. So may grace and peace be yours in the fullest manner. You should be experiencing grace and peace because you've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. I have, by the way, I have preached up and down the length of Ukraine on three different times, taking doctors and nurses and surgeons and taking hundreds of thousands of Bibles, taking food, uh, preaching in nursing homes, preaching in hospitals, preaching on street corners. Uh, I, we saw people, I, I'd never, never in my life have I seen people come to Jesus Christ the way they came to Jesus Christ after the wall fell and we went into Ukraine, went into Romania, went into Ukraine and shared the gospel, preached the gospel. I, I, I took my children. I wanted all of my children to be somewhere where people were running toward the gospel and out away from it. And I'll never forget on one occasion standing outside of a factory, my son uh, had climbed up and was sticking Bibles through the bars. People's hands were reaching out to grab a copy of the Word of God. We stood back to back. The crowd surrounded us. We got back to back, and we were handing out Bibles as fast as we could do it. Had several interpreters trying to share with them Jesus Christ. They were grabbing by They had not seen a Bible in over 70. Many of these had never seen a Bible in their lives. And when we ran out of Bibles, let me tell you what they did. They literally started taking the Bible and tearing pages out and handing it to this one, tearing it out, handing it to this one, tearing it out. Hand. Is the Word of God that precious to you? They just wanted a page or two of it that they could take home and read. And let me tell you something. I'll say this. Jesus Christ is on every page. People ask this question all the time. Well, we can't find Christ in the Old Testament. Well, you must not be reading it is all I, is all I know. But anyway... Don't get me off on stuff like that. Okay, let me get back to this. Here we go. Back to this right here. And so they write, they say, listen, we, we're not sure. So he reassures them. Listen, you've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. There to your heart was the blood of pride. Glory to his name. But now they turn and they say, beginning in verse 3, well, if we were saved, we've lost our salvation. Now, it, he introduced this book tonight which I have I bought it as soon as it came out 
Uh, and uh, I'm going to do a little bit of doctrinal work tonight, and that is on eternal security. Amen. Mainly because nobody talks about eternal security. But I want to tell you the number one thing over 41, two years of ministry that I've had repeatedly, uh, the one question that people have asked me over and over is, can I lose my salvation? Or I've had people come to me for counseling and they would say, Pastor, I've lost my salvation and I don't know what to do. Can I lose my salvation? Now, some of you tonight, you may be sitting there thinking, why are you going to preach on this? I, I, I'm, I don't feel that way. Listen, let me tell you something. I know about five things about every single person, whether I know you or have just looked at you. One of those things happens to be this. Every single one of us deals with a guilt of a sin in our lives that we struggle with. And many times as we deal with that guilt of a sin, we wonder, am I really saved or have I lost my salvation? Now, you may not feel like that tonight, but let me tell you something. People are all around you all the time who wonder that. I want to walk you through just a few verses in your copy of God's Word. You follow with me, and I want you to see what Peter says to these people. And this is what he's going to say. He's just talked about their salvation. That because of the crucifixion and the resurrection, you have salvation and eternal security. If you have salvation, let me tell you something, you have eternal security. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, then you are eternally saved. And you are safe in Jesus Christ. He's going to begin, and I want you to notice this in verse 3, how can I have assurance? How can I have the assurance of eternal salvation? It's because of God's provision. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch it what he says. Who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Now do you know what born again means? Born again. That's what it means. To be born again. He says this. He has caused us to be born again. That's what happens when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you, I'm going to do a little bit of grammar tonight. I hope that's okay, uh, but I want you to understand that's called an aorist active right there. It's an aorist tense in that it happened in the past. For me, it happened on a camp cot in the mountains of North Carolina when I was handed a Gideon Red New Testament and told to look at John 3.16. And I read John 3.16 and I put my name in for God so loved Mac Brunson that he gave his only begotten son. And I came to Jesus Christ that Saturday on a camp cot up in the mountains of North Carolina out of a Gideon Red New Testament. There the blood was applied to me. Glory to his name. Now, that's what he's speaking of. He says, you've had this experience. If you've not had this experience, I pray that you'll listen very carefully and you'll let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart tonight. But the other thing I want you to see is that it's active, and that is who's doing this born-again stuff. It goes back to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what that tells me grammatically. It's this. It is God who has caused us. It is God who has saved us through the work of Jesus Christ 
on the cross in the empty tomb. So when you ask the question, can I lose my salvation? Have I lost my salvation? Well, listen, let me tell you, you didn't earn it to begin with. So if you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. Now, listen, that's the wrong question to ask. Can I lose my salvation? That's the wrong question to ask. Uh, The question to ask is this, is can Jesus Christ, who according to the writer of Hebrews chapter 1, who sits at the right hand of the Father on high, can he sin? Because if he can sin and fall from that position, then you'll lose your salvation. What about that? What do you think? He tempts no one, nor can he even be tempted by sin. He who knew no sin. No sin. It is impossible for that to happen. It's even almost impossible to even think. So the fact of the matter is this, as long as Jesus Christ is secure, sitting at the right hand of the Father, your salvation is secure. Now listen, if y'all were Pentecostals, y'all would be up running now. I'm telling you. Now that's what he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Now what are we born again to? To a living hope. Now look, all I'm doing, I'm just going through the passage here. To a living hope. He attaches to the word hope the word living. Living, God is the author of life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the giver of life. It is a living hope which puts it into contrast with the hope that you and I generally talk about. Now, when we talk about hope, we generally talk about a glorified wish. Now, let me give you an illustration. I had really hoped this year, I really had hoped this year that the Dallas Cowboys would win the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl. I had hoped it. But what do we all know? That's a joke, isn't it? Huh? That wasn't gonna, that was just a pale, lifeless, bloodless, anemic, pathetic wish. It was just a wish. It wasn't even a hope. It was just a wish. I wish that it happened. You know what? It did not happen. But do you know what this says? We have a living hope. Now watch this. We have a living hope. Now look at how this has power through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope we have in Christ is living and it has a power that is called resurrection power. So when I hope in Christ, it is a certainty. It is for sure. He will not disappoint me like the Dallas Cowboys. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, what's it a living hope to? To obtain, verse 4, an inheritance. He says that our, listen, our salvation, our security is this. We are saved. He has saved us. We have a living hope that is powerful, that is for sure, and it is a living hope in an inheritance. You know what an inheritance is, don't you? An inheritance is something that the dead leave the living who don't deserve it. 
right? Now look, I, some of you older folks are shaking your head. You know what? You, I, I, you, we understand, don't we? We've worked our whole life. We've worked. We we've sacrificed. We've we've driven that car for twelve years. We've stayed in that same house. We've not updated, ladies. You've not bought many new dresses, men. You, you know, you you've only got the two shotguns. You, you don't have all the other stuff that everybody else does. You've worked your whole life. We put up why? Because we're gonna go buy us a cabin up there in those mountains, and when we get 65, and we're gonna sit there on the porch and watch the leaves change right? And we've worked our life so that mama and I can do it. And a week after you retire, you fall over dead. Now what's going to happen then? You're going to come here to the church. They're going to have a little potato salad and fried chicken. And, it, and it, listen, they're going back to your house. And that son-in-law you didn't ever like to begin with is going to get that money and go buy him a tricked-out F-150. <laughs> right? It's an inheritance. It's what the dead leave the living who don't deserve it. Willis and Arlene Hatch were a sweet little couple that lived up in Alto, Michigan. Uh, just the two of them. They never had any children. Uh, he had an 80-acre farm. It was just a little small farming community there in Alto. Uh, they were all members down at the Methodist Church, and uh, they all gathered there every week at church. They loved one another. They farmed, and they helped one another. Arlene taught school, and they did that their whole lives until one tragic day, Willis and Arlene were in a tragic automobile accident. Arlene died immediately. Willis died a few days later. Uh, but the interesting thing of the story was this, is that about three months after their death, everybody in Alto, and there weren't but about 70, 75 people in Alto, Michigan, got a letter from the lawyers of Willis and Arlene Hatch. It seems that this little couple had saved and made and left an estate over $3 million. And they split it up among the people in that little farming community. Some got 5,000, some got 20. Some people paid off their farms. Other people went out of foreclosure, about to go into foreclosure, saved their farm. Some bought farm equipment. But every student in high school that year got enough money to get started in college. And the pastor of that little Methodist church said, we loved Willis and Arlene Hatch. We had no idea what they were doing, but we sure are appreciative that they left us an inheritance. He says we've got a living hope in an inheritance. And listen, listen, we don't deserve. We don't deserve. Now watch it what he says. He comes and he says three things about that inheritance. It's kind of fascinating. He says this, it's imperishable. It's undefiled, and it will not fade away. Now, I'm going to give you how Paul wrote this, or how Peter wrote this. I'm going to give it to you so you can hear the alliteration. Uh, these three things right here, aftartos, amiantos, amarantos. He just gives it kind of like that, imperishable, undefiled, undefading, uh, uh, unfading. These three things about our inheritance, and they're all in the negative. 
because he doesn't know words how to describe what our inheritance is going to be. He can only tell you what it's not going to be like. He begins and he says this, it's imperishable. Everything around us is perishing, folks. Everything around us is in a state of decay. Do you realize that? In the whole universe. Uh, the New Testament tells us the whole of the creation groans for the day of redemption. Adam's sin of rebellion sowed the seeds of, of death into everything that there is in the universe. Our sun is dying. This planet is dying. Uh, everything is in a state of decay. This building is in decay. That's your car, I hate to tell you, but your car is in a state of decay. It's falling apart. Houses fall apart. Backs. I'm 64 years of age. Now I know that stunned some of y'all. Come back now. I didn't. I didn't lie. That's true. Um, my back is in a state of falling apart. Um, it, it ain't what it used to be. Um, but everything is. That's what he's saying. Everything is perishing. Everything but one thing. What is that one thing? Our inheritance. And then he comes and he says this. It's undefiled. That is, there is not even the stain of sin on it. You know your fingers have natural oils. Do you realize that? Everything you put your finger on, you leave a little bit of you behind. And if you doubt that, go home and get that shotgun and you just put your thumb on the barrel. And you put your thumb on the barrel, what's it going to do? You're going to look there and you're going to see that fingerprint, that thumbprint. And if you don't get an oil rag and wipe that thing down, you're going to come back in a little while, and you're going to find a little bump in there, and that little bump is rust. Do you know what he said right here? That, that not the hand of sin has not let, it, 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 it hasn't left a stain on our hand. It hasn't left even just a little, nothing. What, listen, in the words of the great theologian M.C. Hammer, can't touch this. Can't touch it. It is, listen, imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away. You know, I gave my wife roses for Valentine's Day. And you know where they are now. They're in the garbage. Why? Because they faded away. You put a chair in the sun and let it sit in the sun day after day, year after year, and eventually it's going to fade the color. Everything we've got is fading at some point. But he comes and he says right here, listen, the seed of sin is not in it, the stain of sin is not on it, and the seductive power of sin will not cause it to fade away. That's our inheritance in Jesus Christ. That's because of his provision. That's what his salvation has done for you. Now let me show you the second thing. And the second thing is this. It's God's preservation. Not just his provision, but now look. He moves to God's preservation right here. You come down in verse 4. Let me just pick it up at the beginning of verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Now look at, here it is, right here. Uh, reserved in heaven for you. Now that's a perfect passive right there. The perfect tense is often spoken of in the past tense. 
but it is something that happened in the past that has consequences and is still acting in the present right now. Now, that's a reservation. Your pastor got me a reservation at the hotel a couple of months ago, and when I walked in today, they had the reservation. Uh, that's, that's the work of the perfect tense right there. And uh, it, it, it lets me know this, that this literally is being preserved. My eternal security is preserved by God himself. That's what the passive voice is for. Who's doing the acting? Who's doing the preserving? Well, it's not me. But I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. He is the one who has reserved in heaven for you and for me that place where we'll spend eternity. Now, let me tell you how that works. We lose reservations here. They can be lost. I, I flew through Atlanta today. I never fly through Atlanta that I don't ever, ever think of uh, being in hell. No, of, um, <laughs> of, of missing an airplane because about twice a year I will miss an airplane in Atlanta. It's, you can just chalk it off. You're going to... You don't get out. You don't get it. I got into a plane this morning, and what did they do? This is, this is the typical routine. We're, we're on hold for about 10 minutes because of traffic in Atlanta. That's normal. You get that every time you fly into Atlanta. There was a Sunday I, I was in Jacksonville, and I was going to fly to Corpus Christi to uh, preach that night in Corpus Christi. And I could get from Jacksonville to Atlanta. There's about a plane an hour going up there or more than that. And then you can get from Atlanta to Dallas-Fort Worth. But to get a plane, and you have to fly a prop, uh, from Dallas, Texas to Corpus Christi, you, you've got about two shots at it a day. About two shots. One in the morning, one in the afternoon. And so I ran out of the church and went out to the airport and got, we were held up at the airport, you know, waiting on traffic in Atlanta. Got to Atlanta and um, ran to the next concourse down there because we were so late uh, to get there in time to see the girl at the gate close the door. She shut the door. Now I'm the first one up in line there and I said, ma'am, 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 can I see? I said, I have got to get on that t plane. I've got one shot in to get a plane out of DFW to Corpus Christi. She said, I'm sorry, the plane's gone. Well, now, there were a lot of people behind me that were on the same plane, and they were going to DFW as well. And there's a guy behind me, and he said, man, that plane's not gone. And he goes over to the window. And as he walks over to the window, he looks out the window, and he starts banging on the window. And he says, there it is right there. There it is. You can open the door and let us go through. Now, I'm just standing there because I'm a preacher. <laughs> and uh, I, I, there are things you want to say, but you can't say. Because as soon as you do, somebody's going to walk up and say, I know you. Um, <laughs> I'm just standing there, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I can't get another plane. What, what's going to happen? I, I said, ma'am, is there not anything you can do? Is, and she just turns, and she walks off. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you think she did that? 
I'll tell you why. She didn't buy the ticket. Why does God take care of your reservation in heaven? He paid the ticket. And he paid it with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why he reserves it for you. To honor, listen, not to honor us, but to honor the blood of his own son. He has reserved for us a place in heaven. Glory to his name. Now that's the introduction. I want to preach now. Uh, let me give you the third point, and I'll be done with this. The third thing is this. Look, he comes, and here's his protection. Now, there's his provision, God's provision. I have eternal security because of God's provision. I have eternal security because of God's preservation. But I also have eternal security because of God's protection. Look at verse 5. Who are protected? Now, he's talking about us. He's no longer talking about the inheritance. He's talking about us, you and me. Peter is writing all of these believers in the midst of persecution, suffering, going through all kind of hurt and pain, and they feel like God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't care for me anymore. And so Peter comes and he's saying, listen, I want you to understand you're saved and you have eternal security because of this provision of God, because of this preservation of God, but also because of his protection who are protected by the power of God. You are protected by the power. Power of God. Now, do you know what that word protected there is? If you go to the Greek, it's the word for phalanx. You ever heard of a phalanx? Probably so. I'm headed off Monday, a week from Monday for Greece. I have about 65 people that I'm taking. I, I take people to Israel one year and to Greece the next year and we're headed off uh, there, and I'm reading a book. I started reading it on the plane down here today. It's called Philip and Alexander. Uh, and I just and as you get into the book, it's talking about Philip II of Macedon. He was a brilliant tactician. He understood how you put men in battle and how you would train men for battle. It's where his son Alexander got it from, and ultimately it's where the Romans got this concept. Now, give me a minute and let me explain this to you. Uh, the Romans came and they picked up this whole concept of a phalanx. That is, soldiers next to each other, next to each other, in rows all the way back. They had this thing called a sarisaw. A sarisaw is a long, about 12, 15, 18 feet. Long spear, very pointed in, and a heavy piece of metal on the back of it so you could balance it in your hand. And they would drop those long spears between the cracks of the shields. Now, the Roman shields were curved and they would interlock so that when I was standing here, I had not just my strength, but my strength was exacerbated by the man who stood to my left and the man to my right. So that when Rome came at you, and this is how they conquered the ancient world, so that when Rome came at you, they would drop those long sarisaw so that you were kept at a distance. You couldn't get close enough to do anything to them. 
And when they got to you, here were all of these men moving together, and they would just push you back. It's the way a defensive line, it's the way an offensive line is to operate. They're to get down, and they are side by side, push you back. That's the word. Now, that's amazing to me. I can tell y'all are carried away with it too. Listen, that's an amazing thought to me. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that around your life, right now, you can't see it, but around your life, God himself has assumed the position of your protector. And he builds a phalanx around you so that if anything comes at you, he pushes it back. He protects you. He guards you. For thou, O Lord, what did the psalmist say? Art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter of my head. Do you have eternal security? Now, he, listen, he writes this to say, you're not only saved in Jesus Christ, but you are secure. So that, now watch, I, I wish I could preach the whole book, but we don't have 16 hours. Look, <laughs> look, look, just go over to chapter 5 and let me take you to verse 7 of chapter 5. So that Peter could come and say to these people that were struggling and hurting, that may be you tonight, full of anxiety, wringing your hand, not knowing what to do, not, not knowing how things are going to work out. Listen, to the point to where you begin to wonder, am I saved? If I, if, I, if I were saved, have I lost my salvation? Listen, now that I've been assured of my salvation and I've been assured of my eternal security, look at what he says in verse 7 of chapter 5, casting all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Amen. Because he, you ever ask that question? Does God really care for me? I heard a lady ask that question one night. In the most unusual way, in the most unusual place. And every time I look at that and I think about that lady when I read that verse. Because he cares for me. Sunday nights in Jacksonville, when I'd go home, I'd be hungry. <laughs> and uh, I would, you know, I'm just going to confess, and my wife's not here, so look. <laughs> I'd stop by Wendy's on the way home. <laughs> and I'd get a hamburger at Wendy's, and I figured I can eat this hamburger by the time I get home, throw the paper in the garbage can outside, and go in and have supper with her. When, and um, I'd be full. I did. I'm not proud of it. So I got that off my chest. Okay. So one, one Sunday night I did this, right before I left to go to Alabama. And I pulled in. There was not another car, which is unusual. There were always cars backed up around the Wendy's there. And I pulled up, not a car there. And I looked up as I was coming around. I, I, I ordered the hamburger. And I came around the corner. And the girl in the little window was standing out the She was like this, out the window, 
looking off, just looking off out there somewhere. And I pulled up, and when I did, this is what she said. I'm standing here wondering if there's anybody out there that loves me or even cares about me. And I thought, well, that's unusual. I've never heard that at Wendy's before. Nobody's ever, you know, I thought, did I hear her right? And as I sat there and I thought about, did she say what I thought she was saying? And she's about 32, 33 years of age. It was like the Holy Spirit said, are you going to say anything? Are you going to, I am not joking. Honestly, it was like the Lord said, are you going to say, how big a door do you need to walk through? And I looked at that young lady and I said, man, there's somebody that loves and cares for you that's right here. And he loves and cares for you so much that he died for you. And in about 90 seconds, as fast as I could, I gave the gospel just flying. And a car pulled up behind me. And I had to move on. But as I moved on, that girl leaned back out the window and she looked at my automobile going up. And I could see her in the side view mirror and I heard her say, I'm trusting. And there in the window at Wendy's was the blood applied. Glory to his name.